0: Welcome back to another edition of YCT Matters. This is Carol platt Liebau, the president of Yankee Institute, and today we're delighted to be joined by Dan Moresi. Dan is a resident of Norwalk, and he is running for the 25th senatorial seat, uh, which presently is held by Bob Duff. And we have invited Senator Duff to join us for YCT Matters. Haven't heard back from him yet. But we do hold hope that he will be persuaded to join us for a thoughtful conversation of the sort we are going to have with Dan Moresi. And so, Dan, thanks for joining us on
1: YCT CT Matters. Thank you for having me. I am honestly uh, flabbergasted to be on here. It's surreal. And I'm happy to join you and have a good combo. Well, thank you. So
0: talk to me a little bit about, you know, why you decided to get into a race for state Senate this year.
1: Well, I, I'd be lying if I told you I woke up one morning and I was like, I'm going to go run for state senate. You know, I, I, it definitely didn't happen like that. Um, you know, I was a, I, I, I was born in Norwalk, and then uh, I was raised mostly in Monroe and went to Trumbull High. I was a hockey player, you know, always a pretty precocious kid. And, you know, so I was always interested in politics and history, and, and that took a back burner a little bit when I was pursuing my hockey career. I went to college and all that. And, you know, I had a little bit of a minor league career after that. And then I came home, I was about 25, 26. And I, I had a good five year period living back home and, you know, trying to start my life where, you know, there was just no opportunity. There was no sense of mobility, you know, going out and everything seemed to get weighted down further and further. And, you know, I started feeling more dejected.
0: Were you trying to open a business? Were you looking for job opportunities and just finding that there weren't as many as you had expected? Or what sort of work were you sort of interested in?
1: So it's funny you bring that up is I was interested. I'm more of someone who, you know, like small business and stuff like that. So I I was pretty open to anything. But what you really look for, and I think what young men look for, is they look for an opportunity or a job that's exciting, that has mobility. Right, And unfortunately, in Connecticut, the only jobs you have, you either have to get onerous degrees that you're going to be weighed down in college debt, or you have to work for companies where you're just going to be horizontally promoted and you're going to kind of be locked into a certain lifestyle. And with the way the economy is in this state and around the country and the way it's been for my generation, you know, I I, I just felt that that was something a big part of me was missing because I felt like I couldn't achieve what my parents achieved, what my grandparents achieved. And to me, that wasn't fair.
0: No, it, it isn't fair. So so you were looking for something that, you know, you could sort of start and be a little bit entrepreneurial.
1: Yes, exactly. Okay. And so flash forward a little bit, you know, of course, that it always starts. I met a girl, you know, and, and we settled back down in Norwalk and, you know, we're just renting and renting. And in this cycle of, you know, I, I call it a subscription service. You know, everything else is going up around us, you know she went to school and and got into the law, you know, I went to school and we're just paying these debts. And and, you know, you can't get certain credit because you don't have credit, even though you can prove that you pay rent for five years. And then you know, and then it comes into a game of whether you qualify for this or qualify for that. And yeah, it's wrong. And I think your
0: story is pretty typical for a lot of young people who are trying to get a foothold on the ladder of opportunity. So you're living in this subscription cycle.
1: And you know, so what really ended up happening was, I, I was always into politics. You know, in my hockey career, when I was you know on the bus, I found my you know little bit of refuge reading you know Shelby Foote or you know John Locke, you know, and romanticizing our system of government. And you know, so finally, she's like, you know, why don't you try to get involved? And our our gubernatorial candidate, Bob Stefanowski, who I who I love, I think is a good guy. He was coming to Norwalk to the RTC and I've never been to an RTC meeting before. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go to Mr. Stefanowski and I'm going to offer up my services to try to help him, you know, campaign. Because what you just said is I feel like the, the Republicans or any politicians, whatever, they're missing the forest through the trees. And the fact that our generation has been given an economic situation where we can't pick ourselves up by the bootstraps because there is no boot. And there is no messaging, I think, towards that, or it gets lost. So I really just wanted to go there and help him out. And, you know, I went there and I found out there wasn't a candidate against Bob Duff. And, you know, I I started talking and getting more involved and started writing down some ideas and, you know, gave a speech. And then the next thing I know, I got a nomination and I figured, you know, it, it had to have been a serendipitous thing that it would happen. And I felt the the need to, if I was given this opportunity to do the best I can and to try to bring forth the, the issues that are really has been a generational plight in Connecticut. I mean, we haven't recovered since the Obama recession. My entire life has been economic stagnation.
0: So let's talk a little bit about some of these ideas and some of your experience. And so, talk to me a little bit about your view. Of government I mean what is your view of the government what should it be doing and what is it doing
1: well first off if you want just a you know a, a broad view of the government is I think that the government should only look out for to to further the best interests of the individual and to ensure a quality of life if you do not have policy that ensures an individual to pursue their own happiness and to have every opportunity to do that within your country, to have mobility, to have a chance at economic success, to have an education. If your government isn't providing those things, then it's not doing its job to foster the talent and and the idea of citizen. You know, the I think in this country we've lost what the definition of citizen means. You know, to be a citizen, you're a part of something, you're agreeing to a social square, you're agreeing to an economic um agenda for your state you're agreeing to be a neighbor you're agreeing to take part in being a part of connecticut and part of what they do sort of a social
0: contract as it were
1: it is a social contract and when you have a government that is not adhering to that social contract and like i said back to the founders it is up to the citizens and our our government is set up that common people can stand up to tyranny in whatever form and unfortunately at least in connecticut my entire life all I've witnessed is the government getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and taking more and more and more from people, and redistributing more wealth. Because the government creates nothing; it just redistributes wealth. And now we're in a situation where people are working hard. There's less opportunity. There's less jobs, and they, they can't find a leg up. At every single step that they take, there is a there is an onerous tax. There is a fee. There is property tax is going high. Hartford is dictating everything. And to me, that is when the government stops serving the interests of the people and starts serving the interests of themselves. And I think that we're at an inflection point here. And, you know, and and that's a lot of the reason why I want to fight. Okay,
0: fair enough. And obviously, you know, that many of us at Yankee Institute are, you know, on a theoretical level, we agree with exactly what you're saying. We've said a lot of the same things in terms of wanting to uh, see a lot of the onerous taxes and fees and a lot of the things that keep people from getting that start reformed and eliminated. So how do you see going about doing some of this?
1: Well, well, like, as you know, every Connecticut resident is sixty two thousand dollars in debt. That, that that is just insane. If we wanted to pay off our tab, we would all have to pony up, sell our houses and pony up sixty two thousand. So right there. You have to start. I just want to you know, to, do you feel
0: like you've gotten sixty two thousand dollars worth of value?
1: I, I do not. No. OK. And <laughs> and well, I don't because. It's no, not
0: the I, I was teasing. Yes. No, oh, I'm yeah, not sure yeah. many people in Connecticut <laughs> no, feel yeah, as though I they've know, gotten yeah. sixty two thousand dollars worth of value from
1: the government. You, you, you touch on a, a, a broader point, too, is that the government shouldn't be deciding that value a person's private property extends to their economic output, their blood, their sweat, their tears, their whatever it takes for them to create, the hours of learning, the, you know, the the traffic going into work. And what the way taxation has been set up in this state is that they're taking all of that from you. So, I mean simple things. First off, you have to you have to stop the spending. You have to cut spending wherever we can. You know, there's tons of waste, fraud and abuse going on in our government. You start with that. You try to clean out whatever you can. Um, I would personally, I would try to open up in Connecticut. We can only raise money through property taxes. Municipalities should have, should be able to open up to maybe put in their own sales tax to raise money to take care of their own things a little bit. Also going in, you know, you have uh, small businesses that are being decimated. You know, you bring back things like the salt deduction and, you know, I know I'm an idealist, but. Personally, and and I know that, you know, there are very smart people who do the numbers and, you know, I'm not claiming to, to be some kind of economic, you know, savant here, but there's no reason why our economic structure should not mirror that of like a New Hampshire. Income taxes are too high. I believe that if we had a blanket, some sort of flat sales tax with lower income taxes, lower business taxes, and you tax people on the money that they spent and businesses were able to have more output, we could have a more circular economy where, you know, everyone's paying their fair share, as as you know, some people like to say. But we need to find a way to cut spending and to start using our money wisely. And
0: Dan, one of the things that's interesting to me is when people talk about paying one's fair share, have you ever noticed how reluctant they are to actually specify what a fair share is?
1: Exactly. You know, I was actually talking about this the other day is When it comes to these big companies, they don't talk about the payroll taxes they pay. They don't talk about the uh, health insurance that they pay, which the legislature, you know, has you have the way it's set up right now. You have small businesses, you know, with two, three employees, you know, a guy trying to have a landscaping company having to pay premiums because he has to offer bone marrow screening for an employee. What Hartford needs to do is we need to figure out a way and it's not just tax cuts, which is just giving your money back. Our money's being overtaxed as it is. We need to have tangible well, yes, well especially back like tax
0: and, refunds, you know. Yeah. Tax refunds when people get excited they've gotten a tax refund. I always find myself a little bit frustrated because what that actually means is that the government's overcharged you. They're just giving you your own yeah. money back. And I remember once when I was working um, for a U.S. senator some time ago, and I won't even say which senator it is that was so unfortunate as to have said um, the following remarks, it'll date me. But OK, it was Carol Mosley Braun, and it was back in the 1990s, I believe. And she talked about giving people tax cuts, giving people tax cuts. I wasn't working for her, by the way. I was working for a different senator. But I remember feeling so indignant about that remark, because it presupposed that all the money was the government's. And when, when legislators passed a tax cut, they were giving something to people. And I remember thinking, no, it's taxpayers' money. When you cut taxes— You're just taking slightly less of what doesn't belong to you
1: anyway. Yeah. And it's that mentality that that we have to get away from, because, like I said, back to being a social contract, the government in our representative government. And it's the same thing why we have elections and you can vote people in and out is they're serving you. They're serving you to provide the infrastructure for a person to succeed, for an individual to thrive. That's it. Protect the protect the citizen and foster them to to be a successful person and there are a myriad of ways to do that but when you have an overarching mentality that the only way to do that is to spread wealth around to take something that someone else has had and give it to someone else not only is that going to be an economic failure because it wasn't margaret thatcher said socialism's great until you run out of other people's money yes, that was you margaret know? thatcher so yeah. So, you know, when you start doing that, not only do you get economic stagnation, which we have had the last 10 years in Connecticut, because there you can't grow. Businesses can't grow jobs. You know, people can't, you know, buy houses. You get that. And then you get social degradation, because once you start picking winners and losers and you start having different sorts of programs, subsidizing other programs, the social bond that brought us all together starts to unravel because you want to know what it's easy to be moral. It's easy to be righteous when you're not struggling, when you're not worrying about what you have to eat. You know, there is an Aladdin thing to that a little bit, you know, it's easy not to take the apple if you're not starving, you know, it's a board, it's a bourgeoisie problem a lot of times. And I I think a lot of our leaders, the way things have been working is I think Connecticut and it's a great thing because we are a great state and we've created so much wealth. But in a weird way, it inoculates us because the people who have the wealth, they don't feel that bacon costs twelve dollars. I, I don't buy bacon, egg, and cheeses anymore because I can't afford it. You know, I'm trying to run for office. I had to resign from the post office to yeah. do this. And wait, wait, and wait! Just... But
0: what do you mean? You had to resign from the post office?
1: Yes, because that, that was one of the decisions I made in the summer when I really want to do it because of the hat. Oh, right. Act, so, oh, federal... you were working
0: for the post yeah. office.
1: I was working for the post. Yeah, I was. I was, you know, which is why I really wanted to dive into this full. full. So uh, here's a quick little story is my father uh, was a postmaster Postmaster That's why I ended up I was born in Norwalk, and he became the postmaster of Monroe, which is why I, I went to Monroe and grew up mostly there. And I, I say this all the time, my dad, hardworking guy, he gave me what Connecticut is, which I say was a Disney movie right. growing up. You know, like we weren't the richest kids in the world, but I played hockey. That's not a cheap sport. And, you know, I never I had a vacation every year. I went to camp. I never knew anything. In 2022, even if I stayed at the post office and became a postmaster, I could not give the same life that my dad gave to me if I did the same exact path. And that is a that's deeper than tax cuts. That's deeper than, you know, oh, you know, we spent too much here. That is a complete generational economic failure. And and that is really what motivated me when I I was at the post office, I had a choice to make. I could either, you know, keep doing what I'm doing, which is a good job and great workers. And and I love the post office. I could either keep sorting parcels and keep, you know, in that same cycle of 50, 50, 50, you know, $50,000 a year, you know, 50 year mortgage, whatever it is. I could keep doing that. Or I can at least try to bring attention to what really is just a, a terrible situation for a lot of younger people. And and to me, the only way a state can survive, the only way ideals can survive, the only way government can survive is if people have value again, if people have property and they care about their property and they care about their neighbors. And the only way to do that is if they have a government that supports them and not their yes. interests.
0: You know, Dan, I hope that a lot of people hear this podcast because I think it's important for them to understand what you've been talking about and some of the problems you've identified. It's why I love what I do here at Yankee Institute because I. I love <laughs> well, what you that's do. That's very too. <laughs> kind. I appreciate that, but um, because it is, it is a generational failure on the part of the people in leadership. All of us, every single adult in America should feel a personal sense of failure to the extent we do not hand off to young people like you better opportunities than we had. And it's absolutely our obligation to hand each generation that comes a better economic situation than we had. That is what America is about.
1: Now, uh, you you bring up... um um, something good. I, I talk about this all the time, and you, you, you hear this word being talked around very uh, flippantly a lot. The American dream. The American dream. You know, like this is the American dream. The American dream looks different to everyone, but the one thing that's unique about the American dream, in my opinion, that's different than any other country, is your American dream it really ends with leaving your a legacy, leaving your family and loved ones off, better off than you were. I mean, what other country can you say where people that like their entire life, like if you make it in a, in a different country in Europe, like you're just happy to for the status quo to keep that, you know, the same thing. Here in this country, we have that opportunity. And to me, one thing I really want to get across to anyone who's listening, because, you know, my generation does get a bad rap. And I do think a lot of, where you know you see kids or people my age, you know, lean towards socialism or anything like that. It's because since we were 14, 15 years old, all we've known is an economic recession. So if, if something like that happens so long, you know, you're just gonna naturally want something want anything different. You're gonna want the opposite. But most people, I, I really believe this. Most people, no one wants a handout. No one does. What they want is a fair shot. They want a chance at the game, and and I think that most people our age just feel like we never got a chance at the game. You know, we never got that to hear that story. Like, oh, I started in the mailroom and then I became the CEO. That that doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't. I mean, and we're lying to ourselves if we think it does. Your only shot at that is if, like you said, you you, you catch lightning in a bottle and develop an app or something. But for an average guy to you know start a landscaping company and end up you know becoming a you know a regional you know, Connecticut Works Department or something, you know, it it just, it's not attainable. I'll
0: tell you something, it's our, our obligation, and my goal to keep on fighting to make sure that the, the regulations, and the government detritus, and the nonsense that goes on, that makes those aspirations difficult to impossible, are eliminated. This is a fine country, and we have wonderful young people like you who deserve a bright future, and, uh, and we're going to see that you get it. And I'm not alone in that. I know there are so many people who are listening to this podcast who are going to be saying, you know what? He's right. You deserve your shot at the American dream. You deserve the freedom to take your God-given talents and use them to go as far as they can take you. And all of us, all of us uh, who care about this country and this state are going to keep fighting to make sure you get them. And uh, I hope Senator Duff will uh, respond to our invitation. I hope he'll come on and talk to us as well. Um, Dan, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed our conversation. I thank you for taking the time to join us. And uh, we wish you a very, very bright future.
1: Well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate all the work you guys do. And I promise I'm never going to stop fighting for our generation. Now that I'm in this, you know, it it is sparked. It, it actually ironically has sparked that little bit of American dream in me because, you know, if if our generation doesn't stand up to try to better our futures and through working hard and finding solutions, then, you know, we're not going to be able to say that, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda is not an excuse. I appreciate everything and you having me on and it's been, you know, it's it's been surreal. So thank you and to all your listeners. Absolutely. I really appreciate and it. Absolutely. And you
0: know what Ronald Reagan said? I don't believe in a future that falls on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a future that falls on us if we do nothing. So, you keep the f- One of my favorite <laughs> You keep thank the you. faith. And thank <laughs> you to everyone joining us today. This is Carol Platt Liebau, President of Yankee Institute, and we'll talk with you again on the next edition of YCT
1: Matters. I'll show you around this place I call home.